so we've only got about 12 minutes, really. Run over. Run over? Okay. You can right. run over next. <laughs> well, you can run over too. We, you know, the last session is Tori's going to wrap this up. So, so look, I was born in Beth Israel, so uh, yeah. So I got to, I got to respect you. I can't make you ladies unless it's okay with you, certainly. But look, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, we all know telemedicine is the next thing on the way. Now, some of the studies that we did in 2000, 2001, 2002, up to 2005, were with a company called iHealth Record. And it was a, a, basically a combination of Whitney Capital in New Haven and AMA and 36 other medical associations. And it was going to be an online consultation platform for physicians to get paid to do email consults with their patients. Once we had the insurance companies and all the malpractice carriers on board to cover anything that might happen on the liability side, we thought, oh, this is golden. Who's not going to want to do this? 20 to 200 bucks to get the Park Avenue and Beverly Hills doctor getting 200 bucks per email. And the problem is it didn't diffuse. Why is that? It was too many steps in between for what the doctor's going through and what's happening today. And then if you look at what, what telemedicine is doing today and what it wants to do next year, in terms of providing some more codes, some more 992, 99X1X kind of codes for, for, for CPT and for actual getting paid for this stuff, we're looking at a slow diffusion rate. So we were hoping this year we'd see a lot more diffusion. We hope that over the last two years, telemedicine was going to go hockey curve up. And what we've seen is it's actually going hockey curve up, but it's not here yet. And so we know this is going to hit. We know it's going to get good. We know certainly HHS, CMS, all these folks want to see telemedicine skyrocket because they want to pull people out of hospitals. They want to pull people out of physician exam rooms and be able to leverage more patients through fewer physicians. What this talk is really about is about how to make sure that people are ahead of the curve, especially the hospital systems, and certainly you know the big academic medical centers that you guys are at, and, and certainly for something you write about. And the idea is that what, what's happening right now is that the institutions that are practicing and discovering telemedicine and what works and what doesn't are beginning to develop pathways for integrating that into their systems. And that is the biggest block, the biggest barrier to diffusion at the end of the day, are understanding those pathways. Because the folks that can adopt it faster once the, the CPTs, once the reimbursements are there, are gonna win the day. They're gonna be the Netflixes. They're gonna be folks that are gonna be, be able to bring in more revenue faster because they were able to figure it out earlier. And the blockbusters are gonna be the bigger folks that maybe didn't integrate it and dig it, didn't test it out and try it out sooner. And so when the revenue starts flowing in, it's going to take them another year or two, maybe three, to figure out how to integrate it into the EHR and how to get people to start adopting it, particularly the physician users, uh, that if you look at it, it's really not in the new codes that are out. How many of you have seen the new codes that have been approved? Okay, so you're certainly on top of it. But basically, the new codes have expanded. What This year, they said, all right, if you are a physician, you want to get any kind of reimbursement, then you actually have to do the work for this teleconsult. What they've done for next year, we think they're going to approve, is that they're going to actually say, now you can use your ancillary support staff to do the follow-ups. Now you can use your ancillary support staff to do the, a lot of the legwork behind these teleconsults. And what we're thinking is going to happen in terms of the diffusion curve is that you're going to go from like this on the hockey stick to more of this over the next two years. In 2019 to begin in 2020, hopefully, to, to kind of finish it up and end it. And so. What this story is about that I'm telling you from my talk with the managed care folks over the last four days in Orlando, so I was there Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, just flew back last night, is that manage, the managed care pharmacy benefit managers are tired of seeing digital health tools that don't, get, that don't work. 
Most of the tools they see have not been validated by the FDA. The ones that have been validated, are you guys all familiar with Proteus? You don't know Proteus? Oh, you do? Okay. Yes? Okay. So Proteus is a pill with a silicon chip inside it. Oh, yeah. So when you eat the pill, the stomach acid activates the sensor and it starts, the telemetry unit starts shooting out signals to a cell phone mm -hmm. to let the care manager or the caregiver or the physician know that the pill's been eaten. So now, now, do you look at every day that the pill's been eaten? No, what you do is you look at 30 days and you see, yeah, this patient's been adherent, they'll continue getting the pill. And if they haven't, then they don't get the pill anymore. Or they get a message saying, you either start eating your pills or you don't get your medication anymore. Because by the way, those pills are expensive. Or even if they're $4 pills and you're a heart disease patient, you're supposed to be taking your Lipitor, that's still gonna get a hand slap by the physician. And we know that when patients get hand slaps by the physician, they actually start hearing and applying their medication regimen. So Proteus, according to this panel, even they're not actually being used. So they've been approved by the FDA. Abilify is the drug where it was approved to use by the FDA. And the PBMs that I talked to, the folks that are down in Orlando, still the meeting ends tomorrow. It's like a week-long meeting. Who doesn't want to be in Orlando in October for a week, right? <laughs> it was actually nice. It was like 80 degrees. It was gorgeous out. And it was dry. Like, I couldn't believe I was in Florida and the weather was dry. So these folks are all saying to everyone, to, to people like Stan, who care about digital health adoption and diffusion, they're all saying, give us something that works. Here's now, Proteus has taken $250 million in investment to get to an FDA-approved device, FDA-approved pill, and now no one wants to use it. Why is that? It's too expensive. You gotta go up the supply chain to manufacture it, and patients don't wanna take it because they don't wanna be tracked. So that's an example of digital health going through, again, this has been around since 2006, going through 12 years of trials, FDA approval. Just because Proteus got FDA approved doesn't make it a magic wand, and all of a sudden the payers like magically start paying for this stuff. So now, if you're in telemedicine, telehealth, and you're trying to figure out how to get to a tool that's gonna to be approved in, in tier one formulary and high reimbursement from an HMO or IDN, you, you can't just rely on an FDA approval because now what we're seeing is a case study, a major case study is that Proteus failed. So now you have to think about getting an FDA approval or a significant, they also said that they would look at a significant third party study. Okay, and this isn't a pitch for HitLab, which effectively does digital health clinical trials, but this is a pitch for anybody. It could be Harvard, it could be Beth Israel, it could be NYU, it could be Columbia. But the idea is that there's, someone has to do a third party study that shows, other than a pharma company, that's the other thing they said. Pharma companies, please don't bring any more things that you think work or you tell us work, because we know you're just trying to sell more pills. So they said if, they, if, they can, if someone comes to them with a digital health solution that's been validated by a third party, either by a rigorous study, doesn't have to be FDA approved, or an FDA approval, then they'll take a hard look at it. And they have entry points. Again, another, another point is that telehealth and telemedicine for reimbursement and for natural progression doesn't have natural entry points. Sometimes it's a chief medical officer, sometimes it's a CIO, sometimes it's someone else altogether, COO or some other. That might be a department or department head that's big on telemedicine. And you probably know more about this than anyone, Rick, since you're out there actually trying yeah, to get this socialized across the ecosystem. But the idea is that there are so many blocks for institutions to do that, but still the institution can't stop. My story about Netflix and Blockbuster is that if people stop trying to push the curve on telemedicine to make it a hockey stick, then they will become the Blockbuster. Because ultimately it was the fact that Netflix kept pivoting. Netflix knew, I don't know, how many of you have had Netflix more than 15 years? 
Okay, one guy back there. I had it since 2000 and I loved it. I should have bought the stock when it was at $6 a share. I was an idiot and didn't. I was like, no, you should buy that stock. I didn't buy it, of course. I only buy mutual funds, brilliant. <laughs> so anyway, Netflix, I was, buy, I was getting Netflix in 2000, 2001, 2002 by mail. It was a little red envelope yes, with a yes, DVD I in it. Yeah, so I mean, that's how they, it, but their name was Netflix. They never, their name wasn't DVD Flicks, it was Netflix. They never intended to remain a DVD movie company. They always intended on being an online streaming company. So ultimately, that's what hospitals and that's what IDMs and that's what payers have to move to rapidly. They know this is not an if, they know it's a win. So the idea here is to become a Netflix and not be a blockbuster. And by the way, Netflix tried to sell itself to Blockbuster in 1999 for $50 million. <laughs> you guys know that story? So Reed went up to the CEO of Blockbuster and said, look, I'll sell my company for $50 million. And the CEO of Blockbuster said, no, you guys, your, your business model is not proven. <laughs> so the idea is that, yeah, a lot of these things look silly early on. But now that Netflix is the most dominant online streaming company in the world, you know, you can make an argument that's, that's Amazon or maybe someone else. The idea is that hospitals today have to look at this as a 10 to 15 year ROI. So the CFO and that traditional thinking of three to five year break even has to be disbanded. And it's not because a balance sheet is going to look off and the five year financials are going to look a little wacky. I'm not talking about maybe a little bit more red in the balance sheet than is acceptable to the board of the hospitals. I'm talking about actually being a hospital in 10 years. Hospitals that don't do this, hospitals that don't adopt telemedicine within the next and don't start practicing those pathways and getting those pathways ingrained into oncology and neurology and cardiology, et cetera, then by the time telemedicine gets proven as a business model, all their competitors are going to be in there or even just one competitor will be in there and they will wipe them out. Telemedicine and voice activation within telemedicine, some of the other tools that will begin to con converge with telemedicine will become what will eventually be that chasm, that, that major leap from this 65-year-old who doesn't like to type and has failing vision, can't use the computer, to now it all, now it all sinks, it all works. And it'll be the, the telemedicine companies that have the skills with Alexa and with Google Home, that'll actually be able to bring this to happen and be able to bring this to bear and actually see a diffusion rate that'll go from maybe 2% to 10% to 20% to 50% over the course of four years. It'll be just like what you saw with the smartphone adoption rate in 2007 to 2010, 2015, when it ran from 2007, maybe 10% of the population had it to 2017, 90% of the population had it. That, that's the diffusion rate we're talking about. And that's the Netflix blockbuster story that we're talking about here. And I have used up my 20 minutes. Uh, but I'll take, yeah, I'll take a couple of questions. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that when you think about clinical trials and clinical trials process, telemedicine and the ability to actually execute a clinical trial with a predominantly remote data collection tool is where we're going to see the essence of clinical trials go in the next five years. Uh, everyone knows what it, what it takes to have a, a CRA or a clinical research associate run around to a dozen sites in the course of a week to try to collect data at home, and that's a nightmare. And that's why one of the reasons why clinical trials are so expensive, which is one of the reasons why medicines are so expensive. So now you have a president in the White House yelling at people to lower their cost of clinical trials. Well, that's fine, 
reduce the amount of administration that's required to execute a clinical trial so it won't take $300 million, it'll take $30 million. And one of the reasons the government can do that right away is by allowing a validated environment to use telemedicine as a primary data collection tool. Now once that happens, once we can e-consent and once we can e-source all of our data, we can run clinical trials through uh, site visits that are done through telemedicine and televisits with remote data collection tools that are all digitally collected, then we're going to have a much more efficacious and a much more efficient model of clinical trials data collection. And uh, again, that's the the essence of that Netflix story continues for the CROs and the academic research organizations that are out there doing clinical trials as well as the life science companies, which I don't know if anyone here is from, uh, doesn't look like it, but you know, for the folks that are down at the metadata annual meeting at Spring Street Studios, those folks, they should care, and they do obviously, about the ability to conduct those kind of remote visits. But that's something that um, will, will be, for, for your company and for others like that, a, and again, the, the story's not that different. Start practicing, start installing these as a, as a test base now, because you'll start identifying which telemedicine solutions are the easiest to deploy, which populations will actually use them easily, and from a design perspective and a user-centric user perspective, which one, which users want an iPad versus an iPhone versus, you know, maybe they want it on a flat screen or something like that, and which digital devices at home can actually be trusted to collect the, the data in a validated environment, which is a whole different environment. I think that's the biggest challenge, is, is the FDA ready to accept data the trials because until that sort of people are comfortable with that, that sponsors of clinical trials, the pharma biotech companies are but that's where this, this president and this FDA is a lot different than anyone you've ever seen before. So while well, they're screening for cheaper drugs, start screening for cheaper trials, part of that cheaper trial matrix is telemedicine. And that, that's the story there. Yeah, you had a question? So that, the new way of value the experiment is coming in. Yeah. For that, there are two sides of the equation. It's a provider and the patient. Yeah. So do you think that this kind of telemedicine is going to fit into that part of the equation where the payers can see this data to say, what, where is the value missing or why it didn't happen or where is the real value being added? So will that be a dimension which we have to help move this uh, uh, telemedicine to a quicker uptake? Yeah, I think, and again, so going back to the payer conversations that I had this weekend in Orlando, that's a huge point that, and again, it won't be something where they'll be looking at millions of patients and tracking every single one. That'll be a data overload. That'll be a, a significant data firehose issue. It'll be the, uh, the basically the missing alerts. It'll be the alerts over, uh, you know, 15, 30 days where they're seeing issues where the telemedicine consult didn't happen or didn't go long enough or the data wasn't collected properly, wasn't collected at all. The hair tech wireless pill bottle didn't sync up, so obviously someone wasn't touching, even touching the medications. Maybe someone is using the protease pill, that data didn't sync up, like they didn't take their two pills for the last three days. So those kinds of alerts will become, using machine learning, will become an absolute standard of care. And it's already happening. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you guys know or have worked much with iRhythm and some of the digital tools that iRhythm and AliveCore have developed for heart attack detection for AFib and DFib patients remotely, but they already have that kind of uh, alert only on uh, incorrect or, you know, kind of significantly 
uh, poor trend data. They don't, so there's not, there's a lot less message fatigue that clinicians and caregivers and care management teams and HMOs are going to end up suffering with that. So yeah, the, the value-based care prerogative, when you have telemedicine, and again, Rick can speak to this more than anyone here, but when you have that sort of uh, telemedicine tool at stake, timestamp, date stamp, length of session, all of the different data that can be tracked from telemedicine visit and then poured into that digital health matrix, with which is what Topol defined in his 2012 book and did effectively invented digital health as combining bioinformatics with biomedical informatics into one field of digital health. That data can then be meshed up with real world data, electronic health record data, and now you have a full data repository, a full data profile of a patient and how they're doing. And that value-based payment then goes through the roof for the payer. Okay. Got to cut you off. No, thank you. The, the one comment I'll make is, are we going to see too big to fail applied to institutional health systems? You can think about that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate your time today.